Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Down through the ages, the work of God has always moved forward. It's easy for us to come under the impression that, well, nobody's ever had it like we have it now. Or, well, those people back there, you know, they, it was different. That was the Old Testament after all, or that was in the New Testament, you know. That, that was different for them. And they just, you know, the Lord really doesn't know what I'm going through now. We are approaching 60 years as a church. I believe the property was purchased in 1992. That's 30 years ago. And sometimes it feels like things are moving slowly. But we're going to see this unfold in Nehemiah that God's plan is always going toward its destination. So sometimes things move quickly in our lives. And sometimes things are growing like an oak tree and you don't see it until you go back and visit your childhood home and say, that tree was this big when I was here. Look at it. God is always working for our good and for his glory. And so our plans are open before the Lord. He has blessed us beyond what any of us deserve He has been faithful to us throughout the generations in this congregation. When we have all at times been unfaithful, God is faithful. He has provided, he is providing, and he will provide. In the Hebrew Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah, they were linked together. Kind of a part one, part two, and a part three, even though there's just two books. This was, this was believed, scholars believe that this was put together by Ezra, but it includes the memoirs of Nehemiah, behind the scenes of God's work. Now, every time we approach the scriptures, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, it doesn't matter what book we're in, we always approach it in the same way, beloved. What has God said? How do we rightly understand what God has said? And how do we obey that? How do we apply that? How do we put that into practice in our lives? We do not approach the scriptures with, well, Nehemiah's wall is metaphorical, and therefore my wall is my coworker over there. And no, that's not how it works, all right? They were really working with a wall. They needed a wall. It took people with real hands, real brick, real mortar, to put security back in place around the city. And they faced resistance and they faced conflict. Nehemiah, we're going to begin with uh, verses 1 through 4 this morning. This is where there's a segue, there's a distinct break from Ezra to Nehemiah. And it's where the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah, all right, so those of you who are still having uh, children or marrying soon and you're looking for names, yes, you'll find some in here. Hekeliah, bless you. All right. uh, so this is it, uh, Nehemiah 1.1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. Now it, came, now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. If we're going to unpack this this morning, there are four steps 
If in the work of God, we're going to effectively meet needs, there's four steps. This is true for Nehemiah in his day. This is true for the apostles in their day. This is true for us loved ones in our day. And this will be true for our children and grandchildren as they look to the Lord and they tell stories of what God did in our lifetime, how God provided Are we living in that kind of an anticipation that we're actually expecting God to provide? I trust that we are. Number one, first step, understand the context of the need. Understand the context of the need. There are a lot of needs, right? There are needs everywhere. And Nehemiah is just one man who lived during a unique time He lived in a specific location, and God used this man to meet a massive need. So the way we approach Scripture is we need to unpack this like an investigator. Who are we talking about here? That's the first question, who? If we're going to get the context, we're talking about Nehemiah, and he's the son of Hakaliah. This book includes his memoirs. First, we're introduced by Nehemiah to his family. He's grounded in the faith. Most likely, he's part of the upper class. So he's not despised for being wealthy. He's not shamed for being of high standing. No, not at all. His father's name, Hekeliah, means wait for Yahweh. That covenant name of the Lord with Israel, Yahweh, Some of us are reading through the Old Testament and and New Testament, and we've come across where Moses at the burning bush, and who do I say is sending me to your people, Lord, that they'll listen to me? I am. I am that I am. His brother, the name is Hanani, probably short for Hananiah. It's possible that it's just one of his Jewish brethren but most likely it's his brother that he later appoints to serve in a very valuable position. His name is Yahweh is gracious. So dad's name, wait for Yahweh. Wait for Yahweh says, oh, here I have a son. Let me tell you something about my son. Let my son tell you about something about my God, and that is Yahweh is gracious. He does not repay us according to what we deserve. And this is all unfolding in exile, away from home. Then along comes Nehemiah. Now, whether he's older or younger, Nehemiah, his name means the comfort of Yahweh, or Yahweh has comforted. So you see something happening in the family here, dads? That grandfather named his son, Hakaliah, on purpose, on point. That his son took the baton and had two sons given to him by the Lord. And he said, let my sons, Lord, let them praise your name and be a testimony for your name. Isn't this the heart of why we men prioritize coming together on the third Saturday of the month to get under the word? Because our sons need this kind of mentoring and none of us have it all on our own. So we need one another and the encouragement of one another because Yahweh has comforted. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king of Persia. This is a very, very high, lofty position. In our day, this would be like the White House chief of staff. Nehemiah stands between life and death for the king. Cupbearer. It all goes through me before it gets to the king. If I die... If I'm having a bad day, the king is going to raise his eyebrow. What's going on with Nehemiah over there? He ain't looking so good, and we're going to see that unfold. Maybe I'll wait before I eat what he just partook of and tested. That's Nehemiah. But Nehemiah, although he's a servant of the king, a cupbearer to the king, he is a worshiper of Yahweh. So yes, he's in the king of Persia's palace, and he's responsible for so much, but he's a worshiper, not of the king of Persia. He's a worshiper of the God of heaven. 
He has his perspective right. He isn't a worshiper of GM or Chrysler or Ford or wherever you work or whatever sport you love. He's a worshiper of the God of heaven, and that gives him the right balance and perspective to be the citizen on earth that he needs to be. Well, when did this all unfold? The text tells us 444 B.C., It happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year. That gives us a marking, and so with Scripture and with external records, we know exactly when this happened, and we're talking about 2,500 years ago. This is about 500 years before Christ. The month of Chislev is around our November and December. So it's the winter months, the 20th year. It places Nehemiah's memoirs in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king. He was Persia's sixth king, and his reign began in 464 BC, so 20 years in, puts us right there. Now, we need to take a minute, because right now, for all of us, like, okay, 440 BC, you know, I need to remember that this week, in case my wife asks me, what year? What year? 444. All right, very good. No, there's there's important. Let's get some context to this. Just a snapshot of Israel's history. Let's see where they've been. And it's going to begin with their exodus, their delivering, God delivering them from Egypt in 1446 B.C. A thousand years before, God, through Moses, wiped his judgment all over Egypt, and they left out with Egypt, blessing them, Red Sea parting, Pharaoh's army drowned in the sea, and the deliverance, then they go into the wilderness wanderings, 40 years, disobedience, that whole generation died, their children come up, go in conquest in Canaan, and then the period of the judges begins in about 1350 B.C., Then you remember the people along about 1050 B.C. say, we want a king. We want to be like everybody else. Give us a king. Give us a king. And they look around and they say, who's the tallest? Who's the the, one voted most likely to succeed? It's Saul, the Benjaminite. Let's go for him. Head and shoulders above everybody. Forty years he reigns and he's rejected, and then David, this is the united monarchy ruling over all of Israel, and then his son Solomon, and then Solomon's son Rehoboam is born, and remember when Solomon passes off the scene in that united kingdom, and they come and they ask him, they say, hey, Rehoboam king, are you going to be difficult on us, or are you going to go easy on us? And he took counsel from the old guys, and he took counsel from his buddies, and his buddies said, man, you, you got to prove yourself. you got to show everybody you are not, you're not your old man's little boy. You are, you're, you're the king. And he went with the young people and all of the northern kingdom, the ten tribes. They said, what share have we in David? We're out of here. Peace out. We're gone. And Rehoboam sent the tax collector, and they just killed him. Send anybody else to get our taxes and we're not. And then Jeroboam sets up idolatry in two places to worship. And don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go into Judah to worship. Here, I'll make worship easy on you. I think there are some people in in, in our civilization, they want pastors to make worship easy on them. Don't make me feel guilty for not gathering to worship already. That's Jeroboam. You can go here and you can go here. It's going to be great risk and sacrifice to go all the way to Jerusalem where God put his name. The people of God would gather. And so Jeroboam set up these calves and false worship, and it was a mess. And so the northern kingdom was conquered by Assyria first. They fell quickly. You can read all of these accounts in the Old Testament The southern kingdom, they thought, hey, we've got Jerusalem, the holy city. Nothing bad will ever happen to us, except the prophets came one after another and said, you are worse than your sister. The one in exile in Assyria, you're worse. And then Babylon would come, and Jerusalem would be taken over by Babylon, and then ultimately the city would fall, and they would just destroy it the gates. They burned with fire. They broke the walls down. And this is the glory of God. This is the city where the Lord has placed his name. This is the city through which salvation is going to come for all the world. And it's in complete 
ruins. Now, during the period of the exile, Israel was mostly empty. And Assyria and other nations, they, they shipped out their own people. They intermarried, and that's where the Samaritans would come from. There were Jews still at home. Assyrians, kind of the rejects of Assyria, they sent them out into a foreign country, make sure we get our money coming back from these countries that we conquer, populate those country, countries because we took everybody out of them. And by the time Jesus comes, the Samaritans are half race. They're mixed and they're not wanted by Gentiles because they have Jewish blood in them, and they're not wanted by Jews because they have Gentile blood in them, and Jesus had an effective ministry there, caring for them, loving them. Now, let's just look at the exile. There are three returns. They've been 70 years. The first return is in 538. Cyrus, he allowed, here's a good name for you, Sheshbazar, he died early on. We don't know much about him. But then Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel and Jeshua, they came back with Jews, and the temple was rebuilt from 536 to 516. It took a while. Zerubbabel's temple. The key prophets in this time period were Haggai and Zechariah. That's the first return. So it's beginning to happen where people are coming home. The second return happened in 458, and Ezra gives this account. He's the teacher of the law. A second return. Then we're going to look at the third return, and this happens under Nehemiah. His ministry, his governorship, is in conjunction with Ezra. Then after these three returns, okay, and we're going to see all of this unfold, the people are reformed under Ezra. He preaches. He's a teacher of the law. And then Nehemiah, he's not a prophet. He's not a priest. Ezra is from a priestly family, but not Nehemiah. Nehemiah's the secular guy. Nehemiah's the guy that just has the job. He's a governor. He's in politics. He's in government. What could, what could God ever do with me? Are you kidding me? Well, you know, I'm not from the priestly family. He's a worshiper of Yahweh. He's in a place that Yahweh has prepared for him to be for such a time as this, just like it happened in this time period with Esther in Persia. And then after these would end off the scene, there's 400 years, the middle years of silence. That's between our Old Testament and New Testament where God isn't speaking through prophets, his word. There's a famine for hearing his word. There's nobody coming with an authentic message, thus saith the Lord. It's silent and it's waiting. And who breaks the silence? John the Baptist, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Making way for Messiah. 2,000 years ago. Well, where did this happen? When the book of Nehemiah opens, the king and his entourage they're in a Persian winter palace. That's in Susa, the citadel. This was a prominent location in the book of Esther during the king of Ahasuerus. Esther chapter 1, chapter 2, there's a couple mentions of this palace. But in all, Nehemiah is a long way from home. Israel is a long way out of his own understanding He's heard about it from his relatives. Like Daniel, he's a high-ranking member of the king's administration, but he's in a foreign kingdom. Ultimately, he was living in this kingdom, in the palace, in the administration, but he was living in submission to a higher throne. And he was living with an anticipation of the fulfillment of all the covenant promises made to his forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and it's still going to happen. And there's another one where a covenant was made, and it's David. And that has to do with Jerusalem, the holy city. And there's going to come a redeemer, and there's going to come a Messiah king. And how is it going to happen when the king, when the city of Jerusalem is absolutely in ruins? This is a problem that's been in a long time making. So let's ask the question, well, then what? What's the deal, right? What's going on? You want to see it in every book, in every movie, in every show? What's happening here? 
Let's get our minds wrapped around this. Well, there's a delegation of Israelites. They show up and they have, aren't you tired of seeing it? Breaking news. And it's worse than the news that was before. It's like networks are competing with dreadful, horrible news. Why? To keep you watching the news. Well, what happened today? Every now and then they'll throw in some story that's a good story. Like, here's somebody that whatever, you know, like, man, can I hear a little more of that? But they come with bad news, depressing news. It's a news of a disaster. Homeland is a national crisis. You say, well, but they're just talking about Jerusalem. Yeah, but Jerusalem is the pinnacle city. So if Jerusalem is messed up and in ruins, what does it say about the rest of the nation? Can I say the same about our country? If Washington, D.C. is messed up, what does it say about the rest of the nation? It's a representative city. He gets the news and it comes from his brother. He's a long way from home. We're in trouble, Nehemiah. It's not good. We're just not going to tell you, oh, it's fine. We don't want to be people like this. This is why we walk together in small group. We don't want to live out our lives in Christian lives telling everybody, I'm fine, it's great, and your marriage is falling apart, and you're struggling with your children, and you're not together with other believers to just be authentic with, to pray together with, to walk in life together with. They don't tell him it's all fine. They say it's, it's a mess. There's nobody doing anything about it, Nehemiah. Well, I'm just one guy. I'm a long way from the problem. No. Do you realize how many commercials, and aren't, aren't you hit with this all the time? Help the animals left in the cold. Uh, help the people who don't have enough food. Help these, help this group, help the other group. Is that saying that it's not a problem and they shouldn't be able? No, but if you took all of your resources and gave it away, how much help did you really provide? The homeless trouble that we have in our nation. If we put all of our resources together and just put money at the problem, what have we done to fix the problem? We have to understand the context of the need. And some of us live in situations and with family members, there's codependency. And so it takes great wisdom and love and understanding to understand. I hear what my child is asking for me to do for them, but I can't do that. It won't really help them. And then they'll say, you hate me. You don't love me. You have to understand the context of the need. I have to understand. The context. We receive calls all the time as a church. Uh, help me with this. Help me with that. Help us with this. If we took the entire budget and Russ would stand up here at an elder meeting and say, we gave all of our, everything you gave and everything that's been given for the building, we, we gave it to address all of the needs. And guess what, people? We didn't scratch the surface and nobody even heard about it this week. I still remember there was a time in Illinois. I was a youth pastor there. We lived right on a highway. Oh, it's coming for us when we relocate to the Gratiot. Oh, there's a church. You know what? They're the, they're, they are there for us to get money from, and we'll go there. So there was a family that came through in a big old van, and they were asking for help one day, and we had a policy that we would go to the local where we had an account and we would put, we would put at this time, $20 in a gas tank was actually like 20 gallons of gas or a little better. So it was something, you know? And so we would go and we would help somebody with actually fuel in their tank and say, in the name of Jesus, we want to do something for you, although we can't solve. And they didn't want that. They said, no, we don't want that. We need money. And we're going from here and they had these Christian things and, and there's a church and I'm like, can we call them? No, 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 don't call them. And we're trying to uncover, we're trying to get the context of the need, the family. And they're all sad faces and yes, and they're saying Christian things. And we say, no, here's what we, it's not my money, but we have something for you and we'll go take care of that for you. 
and they started cursing us out. And, and Ginger was over there, and that kid, you know, he knows how to do the arm up thing, and it's all like, and we're like, wow, that escalated quickly. That changed rapidly in what just happened there. And I've never forgotten that family. That doesn't make us desensitized to help people, but there's a context, there's a process, because we actually want to provide the help that is needed, not just the help that is asked for. There's a second step, and that is cultivate a concern for others. We need to cultivate a concern for others. This is true individually. This is true of us as families. This is true of us as a church. Here he is. Verse 2, Han and I, one of my brothers came, a certain man from Judah, and I asked him concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. If we're going to cultivate a concern for others, then we're going to have to learn from Nehemiah. Nehemiah didn't say, not my problem. I've got it made. I'm fine. I'm off to the winter, you know, vacation spot walking away from all the trouble. That's not Nehemiah. He actually cared enough to ask, and if we're going to cultivate a concern for others, we're going to have to do that. We're going to have to care enough about somebody to ask them, even though in our mind we're like, but they might tell me. Yeah. And so you're going to have to care, and I'm going to have to care, and we're going to ask those questions, and we're, we trip over our tongues at times when we know that somebody is grieving, we know that somebody is suffering, and we don't know what to ask, but we are going to care enough to engage and send a text message, make a phone call, see them face-to-face, and say, how are you doing? How is your loved one doing? And the people that we live life together will know they're not just asking because, check, I asked them, they actually care. They care enough to ask. It's estimated that somewhere around 6 million Jews were put to death during Hitler's Holocaust. Think of it in terms like this. Just devastated, destroyed, And you, maybe you've been to the Holocaust Museum in the Detroit area, Southfield. And you go in and you hear the the stories. Now most of them are on video. I've been there with groups from school and there's a survivor that sits down and tells how she survived and tells how she made it out. That you have to care enough to ask and then we have to love enough to listen. We have to love enough to listen, not just to ask somebody, but actually to listen to what they say. To listen beyond the initial, I'm fine, it's all good. But we're listening as sometimes someone begins to unload and they begin to share what they're going through. Can I ask us the question, do we take the time to ask people, how are you doing? You know what I just fills my heart is when around this place, I see people praying with one another. Hey, there's a need. Can I pray with you? Can I pray for you? Do you know that some of the men in various places that I've been in pastors' conferences or meetings, and they've said, how's it going? And I've shared with them blessings, burdens, and they say, can I pray for you? And they just put their hand on my shoulder, and they just take that request to the Lord. I don't forget those. They stick with me. They stay with me in a tangible way. So they said to him, and they told him, the remnant is there, and the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. The people are in trouble, Nehemiah. Yeah, they survived, but barely. They are in great distress. They are in reproach. They were living in conditions that were unfit for human beings. The situation is reminiscent of the covenant curses that were promised through Moses by the Lord if Israel ever broke faith and rebelled against their God and Savior King Yahweh. Listen to what Moses warned the people. Deuteronomy 28 and verse 15. But if you, he's speaking to Israel, 
if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. He's telling the people, pay attention. Don't just say, oh yeah, I'm in. Pay attention, Deuteronomy 28, 52. They shall besiege you in all your towns until your high and fortified walls in which you trusted come down throughout all your land. And they shall besiege you in all your towns throughout all your land, which the Lord your God has given you. At this point, they haven't even gotten in the land yet when Moses is saying this. And he's telling them, you're going to go over, you're going to cross the Jordan, you're going to go into this promised land that the Lord is giving to you, and if you forget the Lord, if you prioritize other things that are passing, and you forget the Lord, he will not forget his covenant. You may be unfaithful, Israel, but the Lord will not be unfaithful. He will do what he has said. So in their minds, this is what the Lord said. This is what the Lord promised would happen through Moses. So think about the headlines that we see. The headlines where we live, homelessness, riots, the increasing deaths from drugs laced with fentanyl that are right now just flowing across the border, overdoses on meth, vandalism, attacks against police officers and first responders, senseless murders that cut lives short every single day. It almost seems hourly. They don't have enough new space to report it all. And so many people are almost getting tired of hearing it. Nehemiah didn't do that. He didn't say, well, anyway, on to my agenda for the king where I'm at. It's all good here. I'm fine. I've got my meals. I've got my position. So when we think about all of the turmoil, isn't it easy for us to say, but come on, what am I supposed to do about all that? How do I solve these problems? I'm just one person. How? This is overwhelming. Well, we have to understand the context of the need. You realize in our home, in our nation, the home has been under assault for quite a while now. There's a breakdown in the family, and as a church, we're here saying, God, will you allow us as men to raise up men who will love you, fear you, serve you, worship you above all else, and lead their families and love their families for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's a different kind of guy. That's a guy like Jesus. And to be clear, none of us are him. But we need him, and we love him, and we've been called by him. Can we be honest? Our government is absolutely clueless on how to solve these problems. And it's not just in the last year, five years, 10 years. Any nation that abandons the word of God, the principles of God, the fear of God, then you watch for deaths to rise, including abortion and murder and suicide all of these devastating realities because there's a hopelessness because people don't know your life is valuable. You've been made in the image of God. And so if somebody stands in my way, then I just need to eliminate them and that will help me. No, it won't. It creates more pain and more suffering. You can add millions to the budget, you can add billions to the budget, you can add trillions to the budget, and a government cannot solve these problems. Then what is the answer for all of these problems, you might ask? It's those who worship Jesus Christ and they're gathered into local bodies of believers and they commit to membership and they commit to the mission of carrying out the Great Commission. It's the church. The church is God's plan A, and there is no plan B. 
That's why there's hospitals. That's why there are schools. Is because Christians ran into dilemma, ran to the need instead of running for safety and shelter and their own personal comfort. Read your history books if you can still find any. Okay? But we have this history book. And it's not just Israel's history or that's good for Christians. This is human history. This is God's story of redemption, and we all need it. If we reject God, if we ignore God, uh, it didn't go well for Israel, and it's not going well for the U.S. of A. either. So my question is not to the Democrat Party or the Republican Party or to the Independent Party. My question is to believers. How about us? Have we learned our lesson? Do we read our Bibles with the idea that I need to understand what God has said? I need to understand history. And Lord, will you help me to rightly put this into practice? Will you develop in me a character like Nehemiah and and in our church family? Will you put together such a solidified body of believers, a building, a group of worshipers that we will invade the darkness and make a difference because I think we can all agree a difference needs to be made. There needs to be a change. And I've said it how many times? It's not coming from Lansing and it's not coming from Washington, D.C. It's coming through people who are nobodies. You and me with the King of kings and Lord of lords by his spirit living in us, meeting needs wherever we go, individually and collectively. That's why your giving matters. That's why your serving matters. Because it's not just you. You don't exist for just you. You're not just here to sit and to observe as spectator and leave. You're here for a purpose and for a reason. And when you're not here, we miss you. This is what Romans 13 describes. Understand that Jerusalem was the capital and the walls were, in, they were down. What does that mean? Anybody that wants to go in can go in. How do you govern that city? How do you protect that city? You can't. Who takes advantage of that? Violent people. Thieves. People who steal people. Kidnappers. Murderers. There's a problem here. And Nehemiah is being burdened about this problem. No city, no nation can be safe and fully functioning without a boundary around it. There has to be a, this is the line. Right now, that line is between Russia and Ukraine. And that whole world is watching what's going to happen when one nation is approaching another nation. Does it matter or doesn't it matter? Does the lock on your front door matter or not matter? He's brought to bear this is a problem and the government has been given a responsibility by God to protect the citizens, to promote righteousness and to punish evil. How do you have a government when you have no functioning city? If you think about many of the cities in our nation, the metropolitan cities, many of them are experiencing this kind of ruin. So what do we do? Just walk away? Hmm. Now we have to learn. We have to learn from Nehemiah. How good are we at asking others? Do we care? Are we listening? Are we willing to show mercy? Are we willing to get involved? Thirdly, we need to offer a cry for help. Offer a cry for help. This is what Nehemiah does. He looks up to God first, and then he looks around the others. 
to other people to get them involved. This is going to take an effort. This is going to take a team. Offer a cry for help. Sometimes that feels like it's insufficient. Sometimes that feels like it's not really accomplishing a whole lot. Oh, yes, it is. It's drastically different than just trying to raise a, a line item on a budget to meet a need. Nehemiah, this affected him personally. He experienced personal brokenness. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. Okay, this is, a, this is affecting him. He's heartbroken over this. We see the character of Nehemiah here. He doesn't just walk off and say, not my, not my problem. He's moved with compassion. His strength failed him. This was awful news, and he understood the news, and he's heartbroken for his people and for this nation. And so for days and days, he wept and he mourned. I wonder if that's a description of how we are when we're met with needs in people around us. Are we affected by this? Yes, we have families to lead, and we have jobs to do, but this, is, this gets him in the heart. And this is gonna play out for months. He offered intentional prayer. He says, and I continue fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And, and loved ones, he's not saying this to say, come on, I'm amazing, right? Huh? He's telling the memoirs, this is what I did. I was overwhelmed. I had no idea what to do. And so this is my response. I was broken in heart, and I simply sought the Lord. And it wasn't just a, a Lord, there's a situation. He was brokenhearted. He's weeping. He's mourning. And he's intentional in his prayer. There's a constant fasting here. He's so overcome with grief. He's just not thinking about, anyway, what are we having for lunch? His appetite is gone. Because he's heard news that his home country is in ruins. Jerusalem is in shambles. He's wrecked by this news. He didn't respond with, well, anything else? That's it. All right, wrap that up. You guys have, you know, on your way. He didn't respond with arrogance. Well, let me tell you, those people back there, you know, God's judging them. And he didn't respond that way. We're going to see in his prayer that he unites himself with all of the disobedience and rebellion and sin. He puts himself into that as he seeks the Lord through prayer. This is constant fasting. This is constant prayer. He was devoted to bringing his reverence and repentance and request before the Lord. He's seeking the God of heaven. Loved ones, does that describe how you and I respond when we are met with conflict Trials, tragedy, suffering, sickness. That's how Nehemiah responded. This went on for months. Now, don't miss this. We're going to get to chapter two, and it gives us a different set of months that are actually March, April. So he's not just quick, let's just go and, uh, you know, grab some mortar and some tools, and I'm out of here. I quit my job. No, that, that wouldn't be wise. But I hate my job. No, hold on. God has you there for a reason. You are representing him in the place where you are. Doesn't mean you don't ever change jobs, but seek the Lord. And so he's praying and fasting and praying and fasting. He's seeking the Lord. And this is one month into two months into three months into four months. And he's praying and fasting and seeking the Lord. Aren't you going to do anything? Well, I'm one man. I'm a powerful man in, in Persia, but I'm one man and I'm not the king. So I'm not the man, I'm a man. And if anything's going to happen, God's going to have to get a hold of the man and then things will change. How's that going to happen? I don't know. So I'm going to skip some meals and I'm going to pray. 
think about the practical application here for us. He didn't take the social media and light it up. He sought the God of heaven who created all things by his word. That sounds like to me a place that we can go for help. I don't think our friends on Facebook can help us much, but the God of heaven that will, you know, he was here before and he'll be here long after, all the social media companies rise and fall and the people who design them and build them and run them, let's seek him. Let's see what his agenda is. Let's see what his plans are. And fourthly, let's respond with a commitment to act. He didn't just stay in prayer. Hey, uh, Nehemiah, it's been like a decade, man. I'm praying. Now he's waiting on the Lord. He's not sure how it's gonna work out, just like you and I aren't. Okay, yes, we're, we're planning, we're praying. Uh, there's plans being developed and steel being ordered and all this. For the, but our plans are open-handed, loved ones. If anything's gonna happen physically or spiritually, it's the God of heaven who must do it, amen? It's not like, yeah, the trifecta of Brian J and uh, Russ, they got it done. Oh, no, 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 no. God will work through his people, but when something is accomplished that lasts for all eternity, it's God who did it every single time. You can take that to the bank. So let's respond with a commitment to act. Now, the rest of Nehemiah is this point. It's how he responded. It's what he did. Next week, we'll look at his prayer. And then he moves into action. He couldn't forget Jerusalem. He couldn't forget the promises of God. If he was to forget Jerusalem, that would be like him forgetting God. Well, just, you know, let's find another city. Not gonna happen. So like the psalmist before him and the son of God who would come after him on earth, he cared about the glory of God. Psalm 51 verse 18, do good to Zion, another name for Jerusalem. In your good pleasure, build up the walls of Jerusalem. Psalm 122.6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Psalm 137.5, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Just my career, just be done with it if I forget Jerusalem. Psalm 137.6, let my tongue stick to the roof, <laughs> fitting right there, and to the roof of my mouth easy for me to say. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Now, now hold right there. Understand when week by week I'm calling you to worship, walk, and work together, it is not the worship of a city. It's the God who has chosen this city. And the psalmist is saying, let me prioritize my life the way you have prioritized your name. And therefore, it's connected to a place of worship, Old Testament, and that's the city of Jerusalem. And above everything else that gives me satisfaction, pleasure, all types of pleasure, my chief satisfaction, may it be you, Lord. That's revolutionary. Psalm 147, too, the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. Can't you hear Nehemiah? Lord, if it's gonna happen, you gotta do it, Lord. Oh, by the way, you said in your word, Lord, that you would do it, so I'm actually praying your word, Lord. You said you will build up Jerusalem if it's gonna get built up, Lord. And the outcasts, Lord, we're, we're everywhere. So I'm bringing your word to you. And the Lord would respond and we fast forward another 500 years to when Jesus walked the earth in Matthew 23, 37, and look at the heart of Christ. As he walks up, has anybody here been to Jerusalem? Has anybody been to the Holy Land? Been, been there? Anybody? Anybody? All right, one person. All right, you come take over. Two people, all right. Walking up, Jesus walking up, looking over the holy city. He was there when Nehemiah was praying. He was there when Moses was promising. He was there when Joshua was conquering. He was there through the judges. He was there through the kings, the good ones, the bad ones, and all of them in between. And Jesus walks up and he looks over this city. The one who could have said, 
all fire and brimstone should fall on this city for what they're about to do to me. And he would have been right. But listen to his heart. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Do you hear the heart of God here? A city deserving judgment, just like you and I deserve judgment. The wrath of God for our rebellion against him. And do you hear the merciful heart of Christ? He was there in every imprisonment and stoning through it all. And Jesus himself didn't walk away from it. Nehemiah didn't walk away from the trouble. Instead, Jesus, the second person of the triune God, took to himself flesh, and he walked right straight into it. And he looked over the city, and this is endearing when he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How many times I wanted like a mother hen to say, gather under me. And what would be coming on that mother hen? The judgment of God. And all who find shelter and refuge under Christ, he bore the wrath. He bore the punishment. And when that was said and done and he walked out of the grave, all who find their shelter in him, loved ones, and in him alone, are given life that never ends, forgiveness of all sin, Debt canceled. Wrath of God satisfied because Jesus wept over the city and then walked into the city and laid his life down and then took it back up resurrection morning and walked out of the grave. Amen? That's the one we serve. Is that the one that you worship? Do you serve and worship Jesus. Isn't that in our purpose statement? We exist to glorify God. And it ends up in serving. Or it's not glorifying to God, loved ones. It begins with me seeking God's glory. That's where it starts. That's what Nehemiah is concerned about. He's seeking the glory of God. He knows all that's been mentioned about Jerusalem. He knows what will come and what will take place. He can't see it all clearly, but he's praying and he's fasting and he's seeking God's glory. That's when we actually do good for people then. And when I seek God's glory, it's not gonna be, hey, I got the idea. Let's find a mountain and let's all move up into the mountain. I love the mountains. And we'll just stay there until Jesus returns a massively holy huddle. <laughs> nope, not God's plan. Out of sight, out of mind. Not out of God's mind. Not out of God's sight. Not out of God's concern. Well, what has God done about all the problem in the world? Look in the mirror. Look around you. I'm just one person. So was Nehemiah. So was Hakaliah. And he had one son named Nehemiah that sought the Lord and didn't say, I have this position. Do you know how hard it was for me to get this position? I can't lose this position. He's seeking the God of heaven and it results in me serving others. This is where change happens. If I'm seeking God's glory personally, it's going to manifest in the good of those around me. If it doesn't manifest in the good, true goodness, righteousness around in the people around me, it's not truly glorifying God. Can we get that straight? If it's just good for me, if this is good for the people at the top, it's not righteous, it's not justice, it's not fitting, it doesn't please the Lord, it doesn't glorify God, and it's not good for people. That's why giving more money to a problem won't ever solve it. It's called rolling up our sleeves and showing mercy like the Good Samaritan 
who went and engaged with that man fallen at his own expense. Nehemiah engaged. Loved ones, can we truly say that we're devoted to the glory of God while living disconnected and unwilling to put our hand to the work of God? We can say it, it's just not true. Compassion that is truly compassion always results in action. If it's genuine compassion, it results in action. And God's plan to meet the greatest need of all peoples is the church. So here, listen to me now, because we have to avoid two extremes. There's two ditches. One ditch is, I'll work, I'll do it all, I'm there, I do everything, I do everything, I do everything, can't give anything away and burn out. The other ditch is, I'm so glad to be a member. Hey, we have a need, I'm glad I'm a member. Nope, 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 nope. And other people burn out because there's such isolation and there's not the, Lord, you have me here. Why? And that's how the lawn gets mowed. And that's how the roof gets fixed and toilets get changed out and walks get shoveled and diapers get changed. Thank the Lord for the team that serves in the nursery and the toddlers and children are taught next door to worship the Lord by people devoted and people sit behind the scenes and take a message that is going out far beyond the walls. And there are so many people working behind the scenes in so many ways. Why? Because we're a family. We're a body. And God is doing great things. And I believe, believe with me, he will do great things. And don't our families have needs? And don't our neighbors have needs? And don't we feel overwhelmed when we try to meet the needs? So here's what we do. Do what Nehemiah did. I'll do what I'm able to do where I'm at, and I'll trust you for all of it. I'll trust you for all of it, and I won't give any excuses, and I won't offer up. I'm too busy. I will simply say, your glory is my greatest joy. And you know what, loved ones? Let me tell you a secret. That's where your greatest joy is. That's where fulfillment is. So the four steps, understand the context of the need, cultivate a concern for others, offer a cry for help. I'm out of water, help. Respond with a commitment to act. Last drops. All right, a couple questions for us to, to talk over and think about. All right, one, do I generally respond to challenges by prayer? That's a good question for lunch this afternoon, isn't it? Dog chews up everything you just bought brand new, and, and how do you respond? Prayer? <laughs> now, I've done, now I'm preaching myself, okay? So you guys just watch my next step to increase my investment into the work of God. This is what I want us to catch through this whole Nehemiah. The work of God has been going, is going, and will go forward. The question is not, will you make it go forward? The question is, will you be part of what God is doing? And to what degree? Will you be part of the work of God and to what degree? And it begins with knowing Christ. And when you know Christ, everything changes about your life. And you want other people to know Christ and follow him, and you'll do whatever you can to truly help them. Amen? Amen? May God help us in this. Let's stand together. We're gonna sing in response to this message, and then we'll hear the update. Father, thank you for your goodness and grace and mercy. I thank you that your work is going forward. I thank you for the men who were faithful serving in the pulpit before me. I trust you for those who will come in years and generations after me should the Lord tarry his return. Father, I thank you for those who serve faithfully and give and pray, and in so many countless ways, they put their hand to the work, Father, in this church and in churches all around this planet. And there are so many people who are so often not known. No one knows them, Lord, but you do. You know them and you use them. And I thank you that nothing will be wasted that is offered to the hand of the one whose hand was pierced for sinners. 
So that's where we find ourselves again this morning, needing you, surrendering to you, trusting in you, asking you to do what we cannot do. And in all things, may you be glorified. For the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.